Hello, Bobby. How are you? I'm good. Uh, You just missed one of the craziest getting ready to do a podcast moments of your entire life. Um, (laughs) So somehow, somehow I get, um, I'm getting done with my day at the office and um, the Wi-Fi has been doing something kind of weird. So I thought, well, I'll just unplug the Wi-Fi router and plug it back in and then it won't connect at all. Mm. So this is like 15 minutes ago. So yeah. I'm just grabbing stuff as fast as I can, throwing it in my car, driving over here in the rain. I mean, I only, my office is only about five minutes away. I get here and I realize that my dongle that plugs into my mic is at the office still. Fortunately, my wife has a, has a um, thing that works and I had to call her to find out where hers was so I could find out to get it plugged in. I literally got this thing plugged in two seconds before you said, Hey, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it works. That's why. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Oh my gosh. So a little heart racing going on there, huh? Well, you know, yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, sometimes the stress is good and sometimes it's just not. And this time, I guess I was like, well, it's going to work one way or the other. Either this is going to be fine and I'm going to do it without the regular mic or it's going to be not so, you know, with the regular mic and I'll not sound as good and Bobby will sound great, but that's really all that matters anyway, because it's, you know, all about you for this one. Anyway, we've had back to back stuff all day today. And one of our big, uh, leadership team meetings that was supposed to be on Tuesday, got pushed to today. And, uh, so today's been like crazy. So the little bit of, uh, margin helped on my end too. So that's awesome. So again, I want to kind of recap a little bit about what we're going to talk about just to make sure I didn't leave anything out. We talked about the challenges of leading an organization that is mostly volunteer, which basically you do that as the executive pastor. Yep. Um, the, the part where you helped me out a lot, um, with the question, why does all this matter when I was trying to do the work thing, I'd like to kind of dig into that a little bit too, because, as quickly as you came up with that, either you're just very insightful or you've been dealing with that question a lot. One of the two. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I've, I've been dealing with it a lot and uh, that could actually be part of the volunteer organization question. Right. Cause the, one of the biggest challenges, uh, one of the biggest strengths to lead the organization is to lead with vision. But one of the hardest things in the middle of COVID is how do you lead with vision when you can't see in front of you? Like, are we at the beginning, the middle, the end of this thing? Right. And, and so part of the answer to that is starting by answering why, why does, you know, a lot of churches and I would assume a lot of organizations confuse what they do versus why they do it. And so what we found is, man, we've got to, amp up that why question even more. So um, I think we could get at that during that question as well. I want to make sure I correctly uh, announce your podcast. Bobby McGraw connects, I believe is how it's listed on, on iTunes. Is that how you like it? They just search my name though. They'll find it. Okay. Um, Very good. And it's a mixture of more of the long form when I'm speaking at church and then some of the five minute, kind of daily application. Yeah. I have absolutely loved those that you do. It's, mm. um, it's really good. That's and cool. 
you know, the three things after the election, when you did that one, you know, did you think that was going to have to come back around twice for Georgia for one thing? Um, right. That's just Isn't that crazy. Oh my gosh. You know, um, I've got a couple of friends that text me every election day asking what's going on with Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I have any control over that. So yeah, you go to bed thinking one thing, you wake up and it's something totally different. Well, this is why I don't watch the news. I mean, I just don't watch it at all because yeah. I just, you know, well, and that, and fact, hype. yeah, and everybody's going to tell you what you needed to hear anyway. So why would you bother listening to it anyway? Yeah, if they would actually talk about the actual issues at stake instead of just trying to stress everybody out, out and use fear to get, you know, people watching, mm-hmm. be helpful, but not usually helpful nope it is not it is not welcome to the vision of leadership podcast i'm your host ted mcelroy this podcast is dedicated to helping you find your wins have a better quality of life and become the best leader you can be hey have you subscribed to this podcast yet don't miss an episode They're worth every single thing you paid for them, which is nothing because they're free. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button. Give us a rating and a review on your specific podcast player. This helps us with our podcast rankings and makes it easier for people to find us. And as always, please support those who help support us. episode 102 of this podcast, Chris interviewed Justin Kwan, Michelle Andrews, and Richard Ruth. They pointed out that as a profession, we have done a great job of letting our patients know that myopia is not a big deal. If you can see 2020, there is no worry. It is the high myopes that are more danger. And as they said, that message is tragic. Any myopia has a higher risk of maculopathy, glaucoma, and earlier cataract development. In the MySight one-day clinical trials, only 4% of study participants who got ProClear one-days stayed stable in their myopia progression over the three-year period. That means you can confidently say, parent, by not going to a system geared to slow the myopia progression, there is a 96% chance your child's vision will get worse. This may take away some of the choice your child has in the future as to how they will correct their vision. Choice not fear of the disease associations with myopia is what best resonates with parents when it comes to myopia control for their children. And with Cooper Vision's MySight One Day, we now have an FDA-approved single-use contact lens to lessen the progression of myopia in our patients. Contact your Cooper Vision representative to find out more about MySight One Day contact lenses. Welcome to the Vision of Leadership podcast with Ted McElroy. I have with me today a very special guest, uh, Bobby McGraw is the executive pastor for Sugar Hill Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And he and I have a connection through a group that you all heard me talk about, the Business Accelerator Program from Michael Hyatt and Company. We've been on a couple of of video calls with one another and about 100 other people at the same time with Michael many times. And then where there's a weekly huddle that we do on Fridays where we go through our planning booklets And that's where I've sort of gotten to know Bobby. But the thing that really uh, was incredible was 
he helped me out one, t- one day with a problem I was having on trying to come up with a title for a talk that I was going to do on why work matters. And the, the title I had was, you know, work that matters. The problem was the place I was doing the talk, everything was listed in alphabetical order. So I was at the bottom, which means I didn't get a lot of people coming in after two years on this thing. And somebody had suggested I rename it something a little bit closer to the top. Well, Bobby helped me come up not only with a name, but even helped me rewrite the actual body of why people should come and listen to this. And basically it came down to a point of um, why does all this matter? And that's where I think he's infinitely going to help us out a lot on why this all matters because um, he leads an organization that is mostly volunteer. And most of us, for the lack of better way of putting it, uh, we get to rule with a pen when we write a check to people. So it's an amazing thing to run an organization where you have mostly volunteers and lead them. So Bobby, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Ted. Been looking forward to it. Appreciate it. My pleasure. So let's kind of dig into that a little bit. I mean, you do lead an organization that's mostly volunteer, and I'm sure you get to hear your fair share of why does this matter? And for you, you can't say, well, it's because I write your check. So how do you get people to step into this role of what matters? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, man, one of the things that we love at our church is just how many people, just great people there are in our community. And we have about 30 people that are part of our staff, but on any given Sunday, we have, I don't know, 200 or 250 volunteers that help make Sundays happen. So absolutely without volunteers, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. Uh, If it was up to me, people would just be sitting on the sidewalk (laughs) and I'd have to talk really loud. So I'm super grateful for volunteers and uh, love getting to invest in them. But one of the one of the things that we've learned over time is just how important it is to lead volunteers by answering the question why. Uh, and I think you were getting at that with your talk that you're going to be doing in your breakout is a lot of people know what we do. More people know how we do it, but not a lot of people spend a lot of time answering why does this actually matter? What's at stake? Uh, wh- why, why does my role even matter? And so what we found in volunteers and serving within the church is that if we can answer the why question for them, if we can help them to understand here's what's at stake and here's why studying this lesson and hanging out with kids every Sunday matters, or here's why opening the door and saying, welcome home to our guests matters is that if we can answer those why questions, most people will do just about anything. They'll do the what when they know what's what's at stake, why it matters. And uh, I think COVID certainly has created a challenge for all of us and probably for you and for people listening to the podcast, because there's a lot that we just don't know right now. We don't know our school's going to stay open (laughs) right now. We don't know are people going to have to stay masked up a lot longer? We don't know what does going to the store look like or coming into a practice to get our eyes checked. We, we don't know what all that's going to look like. And so for a leader, uh, man, we can't spend a lot of time talking about what's going to happen in the next months or years ahead, but we can drill down on why, why do we exist? Why does what we do matter? And so for us as a church, we talk a lot about, well, we exist to help people discover and live God's best. We partner with families. We don't believe that any parent should have to parent alone. Uh, 
you know, we can just keep going down the list of here's why we exist. And what we found is that if we can amp that up, volunteers lean into that. So how do you tap into, um, and, and a lot of times uh, people who are looking to lead, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, one way to really get into the why is to find out what people's pain points are and sort mm-hmm. of move in that direction. But that sometimes seems almost like a zero sum game to a certain extent, because you're just looking at a point of, of pain more than anything else. What's really, you know, griping them. What are some other ways you can motivate people besides just looking at their pain points? Absolutely. It's a great question. I think one of the uh, ways to get at it is to separate in what we do, try to separate what is the mission of what we do versus what is just the method of what we're doing. In other words, like in in my world, uh, the method had been we're going to just have people in a building. We're going to gather thousands of people on a Sunday in a building a couple of times during the day. And we're going to gather our students in a room and our kids in a room. And when COVID shut all of that down for a lot of people, it created uncertainty because they felt like, well, that's what we're meant to do. And so what we had to do is to really get, I don't know, really critical or uh, introspective to ask, is our mission to gather people in the room or is that just the method for getting it done? And as we talked about that with our leaders, what, what we, you know, what we said is that our mission is sacred, but the method is temporary. The mission of what we do is something that we've got to stay committed to. And so in our world, the mission is to help families. Our mission is to help people discover what they're on this earth for. Our mission is to help them secure their eternity. And so we talk about those things are our mission, but the method can change. The method can look different. The method could look like a Zoom call. The method could look like a bonjour message that I send through email. The method could look like home groups popping up. And so, uh, as we think about it with volunteers and with people that serve in our teams, some of it is just to help guide them to separate what is mission and what is method. The mission stays the same, but the method we hold loosely and we change and we adapt and we uh, work through that. There's a lot of people that confuse the two. Uh, I'm sure in your industry, there's examples. I know in books I've read Kodak is a famous example of confusing this Kodak Uh, created the first digital camera and yet they put all their eggs in the film bit, you know, film basket. And so when they had an opportunity to pivot, they're like, no, 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 we're great at film. And now you look at, you know, how many people actually are using film versus digital, how many people actually have photo albums versus just Instagram accounts. So it's important to separate what is mission versus what is method. If, if the mission is to help people capture memories the method may look like film one year and the method may look like uh, a photo stream another year. Does that make sense? It does. You know, um, as, as you're talking about this though, I can't help but think, you know, the, the mission of a church is ultimately to lead people to God that aren't mm-hmm. there and to, and to support those who are already there. Of course, you know, your mission is centuries old. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, capturing a memory on a piece of film or something like, I mean, and so, you know, as that's happened, how do you continue to keep following the, the wave as this continues to change? I mean, what's, what's new and what's not. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, you know, there's other examples of people that have struggled with this. When I was, one of my first jobs in middle school was to sell newspaper subscriptions. <laughs> so I'd go door to door selling, uh, selling the newspaper subscription. And, you know, now I, I don't know the last time I've actually picked up a newspaper. I'm, you know, digesting everything on my iPad. Uh, and so just that, that tension of, are we in the news business versus the newspaper business? Are we in the uh, opening a physical store at a mall for clothing or are we in a helping people find what they need? And, and uh, so what we've wrestled with is I think a lot of churches understood at least intellectually that the hub of what we do really focuses on the home. Uh, the church is important and the home is important and those two work really well together. And so the goal of the church is to equip families and equip believers to live this out, not in a building once a week, but throughout the rest of their lives. And so in theory, we knew that it's always been about the home, but what COVID did is it accelerated that and it forced us to realize that because suddenly in March, when physical buildings were closed and we couldn't gather hundreds or thousands of people together, we really had to figure out how do we still connect with people in their homes without being in person. And so our mission, as you mentioned, is thousands of years old, but we had to pivot the method to say, all right, if the physical building isn't possible, how do we help people that are working from home, shopping from home, having dinner delivered to home, working out at home? How can we help connect those dots in the home as well. And uh, so it, it, it causes us to, to hold the methods loosely while still holding on to the mission. So when March 11th happened, that was the, the announcement of the president happened, you know, and hopefully you weren't in the, the camp as, as long as I was of, Oh, this is just the flu. It's no big deal. It's not going to, you know, and then suddenly we realized it was really bad how much has what you've gone through in the last nine months made you a better communicator, Hmm. um, made you better at connecting and how did you get to that point? Hmm. You know, I, I wish I could say in March that I saw how long this was going to go on, but I remember being on some calls with some friends saying, yeah, things are going to get back to normal probably two weeks before Easter. I thought this, you know, maybe we'll, we'll close down for three or four weeks and then we'll be back together. And I had a friend that kept saying, no, 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 this is going at least in the summer, probably even through the end of the year. And I remember in March, I thought how crazy that was. And, uh, (laughs) and so I've had to confess to that multiple times uh, that uh, I I had my head down in the day to day so much that I didn't see the bigger, the bigger picture of it. Um, But one of the questions that you and I have heard through business accelerator is what does this make possible? Yes. What does this make possible? And I think that's such a, such a great question. Like the way that we've been able to try to pivot and try to get better at what we do is to for season mourn what was lost. I mean, definitely the world changed and it's human and it's okay 
to be sad about some of those things. But then at some point we needed to pivot and to quit living in the past and to say, well, what does this make possible? I mean, if you had to remove the building and you had to remove our normal gatherings and you had to remove the normal standing on a stage and speaking to everybody at once, if you could just mourn that for a season and then put it behind you and to say, all right, what is now possible? Then once you've, shift into possibility thinking it it creates all kinds of opportunities to say yeah but we could do this and we could do this and we could do this and so um for me it, it helps me to realize that uh man everybody's got some sort of mobile device everybody's got some sort of access to to technology and so what if instead of putting all of our eggs in a one message a week kind of thing what if we begin to dribble or drop truth in smaller bites throughout the week? What if we made content so accessible and so helpful to people that instead of us trying to attract them to us, it's, it's them saying, Hey, this is really helpful. This is helping my marriage. This is helping my finances. This is helping me be a better parent. And then what we found is our people begin to share it and they become, they became raving fans and, and begin to spread it further than we could imagine. And so even though we had to pivot to being online only, we were able to reach probably four times the number of people we would have otherwise. We knew that digital was a thing and we tried to dabble in it, but COVID forced us to go all in and to give it the the, I don't know, the emphasis that it should have had all along. And so we've had people connecting. We've had people join the church that have never physically been to the church. We've had people participating and giving to some of the missional efforts we have that, that live on the other side of the globe. And so it's been amazing and a gift really for COVID to, to force us to think more that way. You know, one of the things as you're talking, um, I start trying to draw correlations with, what we do in eye mm-hmm. care, um, it's obviously going to be a little harder for me to do an eye examination on you, you know, getting to see what your vision really is going. But there are some things I can do. I can do some of the some of the disease type kind of things virtually, which we have embraced. And teleoptometry has become more of a thing, and and I'm pleased with it because it's really freed up a lot of things. But at the same time, as you're talking, I'm it, I'm starting to realize, okay, you know, this is opening up a whole new market of people that we never would have had an opportunity to get to, um, you know, what kind of information could I be sharing with people that could potentially see me as their provider for something? It might not necessarily be all of their eye care. It might be parts of it, but what kind of things could I find if I just decided to change this just a little bit and where, where, what are the goals? Where am I, where am I leading myself, I guess? And, and that's an amazing thing that I feel like most churches that are really doing well right now are doing well. It's the challenge of those that have held on to um, the film, going back to the Kodak mm-hmm. reference, yep. you know, they're struggling and the same thing's happening with our businesses yep. that, especially in eye care, uh, those that have not embraced any type of telop- teleoptometry are really struggling right now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it seems like, you know, the, you know, the, what we do is vastly different between eye care and church work, but we're in the people business. And so trying to tap into what is common of people, right? What's uh, a while back, I jumped on your, your practices website and I loved how 
for new patients, there was sort of this expectation set, Hey, we're going to, we're going to figure out what your favorite kind of music is. And we're going to play that while you're there. And we're going to do these things because we know that it puts you at ease. And I love that because it makes what you do even more human. It helps remove some of the fear that people may have, and it helps, helps uh, serve people really well. And so I think part of the, the mental shift for all of us, as we try to think about what does this make possible is to not get so caught up in the tactical hands-on part of what we do. Of course, that still is a huge part of it, but there's other, to your point, there's other things that we can be doing to serve people that that's far beyond the examination. And maybe it's, you know, some of the education that you're able to provide, maybe it's becoming a resource. Hey, the go-to person that partners with, with families to, to navigate some of these challenges, even in some of the ads I've heard on this podcast, I love how, uh, they're, they're, they're shaped in such a way to say, Hey, when you're, when you're talking to a family about this, uh, instead of talking, you know, coming from an angle of here's the negative side of it, talk about the options and the opportunities and the, and the, and the, uh, choices that'll make possible in the future. And so I think all of that's super helpful and, uh, just walking alongside people. Where do you, you know, I guess centuries ago, a lot of what the church did was more of fear-based um, attraction, perhaps. And I think that's something that also uh, tends to happen in healthcare. We're, we're telling all the people all the bad things that could potentially happen. So where does the mind shift take place where you take people into this other place where it's more about the the good things that come out of it. How, how do you take people from one place to the other, I guess, is what, how you do that. Yeah. I think, um, I think when it comes, especially to folks in leadership positions, we typically start leading based on what we saw modeled when we were young and impressionable. So I think for a lot of generations, it really was more of the fear-based or what uh, Daniel Goldman would call command and control and so if you've never read the book, Primal Leadership, I absolutely love that book because he talks about there's six sort of different ways to read or six different ways to lead people. And, uh, you know, one of them is command and control where you just say it and people do it. But he he makes a strong case in the book that that's probably the weakest tool in our toolbox. Um, command and control is great when you're on the battlefield and there's a war going on but we typically aren't living in a war every day. And so I was in the military, I was in the Air National Guard for seven years. So I appreciate order and I appreciate command and control. But what I found in serving day to day is that visionary leadership is way more positive or, uh, or consensus building sometimes is the best tool in the toolbox. And so uh, learning to, to have several different ways of leading people in the toolbox, I think is powerful and, and learning to discern when to use which which tool, which approach is helpful. And what I found is that people are far more willing to take next steps when you paint a bright future for them instead of just causing them to live in fear. And so I think trying to, to paint a compelling picture of what could be for people or what should be for people, how they fit into it, paint a picture big enough that it's inspiring to them 
and yet somewhere along the way paint it small enough that they can see themselves taking a next step. So it's sort of a tension of big picture vision, but not to cause people to get paralyzed, have some small next steps. What is the next thing that they could do? What's some easy next step that would be obvious and helpful for them? Yeah. And that's, that's, I think the, the biggest trouble we have a lot of times is not seeing those little small steps. It's, mm. it's the incremental growth that yeah. turn these quote unquote overnight successes into overnight successes. What people don't realize it's really more like 20 or 30 years of work yeah. that got them there, you know? Absolutely. Um, you talked about vision and I know recently you've redesigned your vision, I think for, I don't know if it was just for your uh, church or if it was for your, you personally, uh, you went through a vision scripting process. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about what that was like and how you, if you can uh, talk a little bit about what you, what you came up with? Yeah. Uh, so for us, uh, there's been a lot of change going on our community. So we're Northeast of Atlanta and you know, 20 years ago, it was just a small town that people would drive through and not even realize it existed. And now people are moving from all over the state to be here and the population is just exploding. And so one of the things that's been unique is our church is 135 years old. Wow. <laughs> so 135 years old, but 20 years ago relocated across the street so that they had room to expand. And so it feels in some ways like a younger, younger church. But what we found with so many people moving to the community, so many new faces in the church and so many new team members as well, that we needed to revisit what is the vision of our version of the church. Cause we believe the Bible gives us, the vision for the church, but there's just like every person has a personality. Every church has a personality. They have a way of living that out. And so we thought, man, this, it would be important for us to be able to say to our team and to our key volunteers, here's where we see ourselves in three to five years. And so that's why we, why we did that. And we used the format that Michael Hyatt talks about in his book, the vision driven leader. So basically, The Vision Driven Leader is a book that's based on a series of questions where you answer the question of what kind of culture you want to have, what kind of team do you want to have, what is your mission, your product, what's the return on all that, what does the market look like? And so we just adapted that for our church, and what we found is it was super inspiring to our team. When we started describing what it would look like for broken marriages to be put back together again, when we started describing what would it look like for single moms to know that they're not on their own trying to figure this out, but that there would be some temporary housing that would help them find what's next and get connected to jobs. And, you know, we just kept painting the picture of what could be and should be in our community. And by the end of it, man, our team was so pumped up. They were so excited. They're like, let's do this. Let's lean in and let's do this. So it was a great exercise for us. That was, that's awesome, Bobby, because, you know, I, the, the thing I was excited about asking you about this is that you can't imagine how many times, you know, someone I'll hear a conversation or I'll even be part of the conversation and someone will say, well, um, that's just not going to work in, in my office because mine's different. Yeah you did something in a completely different organization that really isn't a business at all and took yeah. a lot of business concepts and applied it 
yeah. and made it work. And that just proves to people that really it's not so much what you do, it's how and why you do it that makes the difference. Yeah, over the years I've done, outside of my church work, I've done a lot of coaching. Uh, a lot of it is leadership and, and life coaching, but I've also done business coaching because in our world, yes, we're a nonprofit, but we've grown uh, our, our revenue, if you want to use that term, from a couple of million to over five million. And we've figured out how to give most of that away to serve other people. And so it's been fun to, to coach some businesses as well, but you're right. Everybody thinks what they do is so unique <laughs> that there's no way that they could learn from that book or that person or that coach. And I don't know, I've, my whole life, I've just been curious and I've been committed to being a lifelong learner. Uh, I, I just know I'm at least smart enough to know that I don't know it all. And I just have this belief that if you're a leader, if you're not dead, then you're not done learning. You're not done growing. There's still something more to be learned. And I just, I don't know. I don't understand the mentality of people that think that they can't learn from somebody else or from some other industry, because I just, I believe there's something powerful when you can take two totally different worlds and cross them. And there's something exponential that really can come out of that. That's amazing. You, you talked about coaching and um, I'm glad you did because this gets me into another topic I was wanting to talk about. Um, you know, there's different types of coaching. The program that we're involved with the business accelerator program is more of a group coaching type right. kind of thing where people are, are learning from each other. Uh, there's a facilitator that sort of leads it all, but there's this ability for each other to speak in each other's lives. And then there's one-to-one -one coaching. Are you doing any in, involved in any one-to-one -one coaching, either as a recipient or as a provider for that sort of thing? And, and why, why should someone even consider doing this? Yeah, that's a great question. For a lot of years, I, I was not involved in coaching at all, other than the coaching that I would end up doing. And what I found, uh, so I'm 42. So the closer I got to 40, for whatever reason, that, that seemed like an important milestone moment. And what I found is in my twenties and thirties, there was several challenges I kept facing. And it seemed like there was some invisible lid in my leadership, invisible lid in my personal life that I just kept bumping up against. And what I found is that while in my day job, I was leading a lot of people. What I really found was the hardest person for me to lead was myself. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever felt that way oh, yeah, or not constantly. as well. Yeah. And so I felt like I was my own worst enemy. I felt like I knew the stuff in my head, but I would still have, you know, habits or practices or insecurities that kept sabotaging me. And so I, so with 40 and just being self-aware to know that I was my own worst enemy, I began to think about coaching. In fact, it, it really came up when I was having coffee with a dear friend of mine and he, he referenced a coach here in the Atlanta area and just talked about the benefits that his friend had gotten from that coach and what he's received. And it really opened my eyes. It's like, man, every, every high performer has a coach. You know, if somebody goes to the Olympics, they have a coach. If somebody goes to the gym, they have a spotter. If somebody, and it just dawned on me, it's like, why wouldn't I? 
have a coach. And so that's where I started with coaching was with a one-on-one coach here in the Atlanta area. And I saw some quick traction big time by doing that. And then down the road, I was exposed to the group coaching. And so I've done all forms of it. I've done one-on-one coaching where I've been the coach. I've been the recipient of the coach. I've been part of the, the group coaching and cohorts. And I think there's value to all of those. Yeah, because I, it does, you know, it's kind of funny. You're always the last person to figure out what your problems are. <laughs> you know, everybody else knows it. Right. You know, they, and they're just waiting for you to discover it. So you can just start being you again, you know, and yep. um, it, as soon as you start realizing this and you can move on into that next level, it's amazing what it, like you said, it unlocks it, it, it takes that lid off and the potential you have is just amazing at that point. Well, and, it, and it's really caused me to think more about coaching. Um, so my wife works for an organization that's 100% virtual and her job is to help leaders and business owners to learn to delegate really well and so that they can maximize their time and multiply their influence. And just overhearing some of those conversations and being close to the work that she does, it just, it showed me the power of outsourcing different parts of your life. And so in their world, they're outsourcing their executive assistant services, but it made me think, man, there's other things I outsource. I outsource my dry cleaning. I haven't figured out how to do my own dry cleaning. <laughs> I outsource my yard work now because I'm just not, I don't love it. Some people love it. That's awesome. Oh, I don't good for you giving that up, you know? So I, I started outsourcing these low leverage things and it caused me to think, are there some higher leverage things that I need to outsource. And so now I have a health coach that once a month I jump on a zoom call with, and we discuss what my goals, my status is, and, and they readjust my plan. I've got an executive coach that I work with at our church and they come in once a month and meet with myself and my lead pastor, but then also spend some time with our leadership team. And that's been hugely helpful. And then quarterly, I'm part of the group coaching that you and I uh, met through and where it's an opportunity to get away from the day to day. And really that's been one of the huge values is to get out of the daily grind and bring my head up above all of that and to look further out into the future. And then I've got a, uh, an, another person that I, I basically, they're a coach, but I call them my mentor because we spend as much or more time talking about my personal life as we do my professional life. And I'm telling you, that has been amazing because a lot of leaders and a lot of owners, uh, they don't have a safe relationship that they can go to. In fact, if you're, if, if you own your practice, chances are not all of your friends are owners. And so it's, so you're facing things that you feel like nobody else is facing. And how do you, how do you go to that dinner party and talk about what's going on with every, you know, beyond the, the daily seeing patients, it's like, you know, the business that you're running and the teams that you're managing. And, and so in some ways that coach, that mentor has been a safe place for me to be able to talk about things that I don't, I don't know where else to turn, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. You know, and one of the things I think that we all don't realize is how dangerous that isolation can become and mm. for a number of different things. Uh, it can lead to um, a lot of bad choices, a lot of fear, worry, things like that, you know, and just having this other individual where you can say things to them in a safe yeah. way where they can say either, 
well, that's okay. I, I deal with that too. Or yeah, that might not be such a good idea, you know, and having someone to speak to you in that, speak into you that way is it's just so freeing. Yep. And one of the huge takeaways for me was, especially in my twenties and early thirties, I spent a lot of time reading as much as I could on leadership, leadership books, leadership podcasts, downloading all of this stuff for my work world. And one of the things that happened when I first started with this mentor of mine here in town was we did all kinds of assessments. You know, usually when you start some sort of coaching, there's an assessment that sort of helps, you know, highlight some areas that you might want to work on. And this particular assessment was broken down between work world and personal world. And he walked through my results and he, he was like, look, here's, here's the low and here's the high, here's the normal range. Here's the things that you're strong at. Here's the things that you're weak at. He said, we could work on any of this that you want to. And he said, but if I were you, I would focus on these two or three personal things. If you focus on these personal things, I think everything else is going to get better. Now that was counterintuitive to me at first, because I'm thinking, man, I, I want a coach that's going to help me professionally. Uh, I'm leading teams, I'm leading people, I'm, I'm casting vision to volunteers, I'm trying to raise a lot of money so that we can do a lot of good in the world. And yet he's telling me to work on me. And man, that was the greatest conversation. Because what I found is that when a leader gets healthier, everything else gets healthier, right? When a leader grows and becomes better, your family life gets better, your work life gets better. And so he really helped me to figure out that it's not as important what I do, right? What my job is, what is even more important is who I'm becoming. And man, I would just say to any person that's, that's trying to figure out, you know, is there more, can I go further, faster? Can I, can I get out of my own way for me at least? And I think for you, you'd say this as well, Ted, coaching has been a huge part of that. It's helped me step back. It's helped me look above you know, the day to day to see the big picture again, in some ways it helped me borrow confidence because in the early days of leadership, I don't know if you felt this way, but I, I certainly had what people call the imposter syndrome going on. Oh yeah, definitely. And I, you know, a, a lot of leaders I grew up around were very big personality people. They were, you know, they, they walk in the room and everybody pays attention and uh, they're very bold and I'm just wired differently. You know, I, I love teaching and I love coaching, but when I'm not doing those things, I'm cool with just being in the back of the room. I'm cool with just watching and observing. I'm, I'm cool with those things as well. And so when I started being, being placed in opportunities to lead, I felt almost like, I don't know, like the clothes didn't fit in some ways. So like when you're a little kid and you put on your dad's suit coat and it's, your arms are just draping around, that's oh, sort yeah. of what I felt like. Cause I was trying to be some other version of a leader. And, uh, and so in those early days, I was trying to lead in a way that wasn't in alignment with how God's wired me personally. And then because of that, there were some situations and changes and things that happened in those early years that really caused me to second guess what my role was and second guess, do I have what it takes and second guess, can I be the leader that this place needs and my family needs and, and on and on and on. And so there was a season where I just lacked confidence and I second guessed everything. And 
you know, nothing major was wrong, but I could tell I wasn't firing on all cylinders. And what happened as part of the coaching you and I are part of is it created clarity for me. It helped me. And that's one of the reasons why the vision script is so powerful as well as the clearer you can get, the more confidence that you can have. And so what's happened through coaching and through mentors in my life is it's helped me to get really clear and more comfortable with who I am and how I'm wired and what my mission is, that it's given me the confidence I need to show up as the best version of me. Because if we're trying to show up as a leader or an owner that isn't true to ourselves, uh, it's never going to be as effective. You know, we, we might get, you know, we may have some successes, but man, it's even more powerful when we can figure out what our unique way of leading is and what our unique role in the world is. And if we can get really good at that, if we can become really good students of ourselves and become self-aware and have a growth mentality to say, man, I haven't arrived yet. I still want to keep growing. I still want to get better, man. That, that goes even further than we could imagine. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is a continuum. It, it really never stops. And yeah, the, the lifelong learning you talked about earlier plays so much into this because you're not only constantly learning about your leadership style, but you're learning what is, is truly making you more effective. You're, you're, you're spending more of your time in your strengths and less time in your weaknesses. It's the, the phrase of, you know, why would I ever want to, I'm right-handed. Why would I ever want to spend my whole day writing left-handed and doing that better when I can do my right-handed writing so much better? Um, the other thing with clarity though, is people, do you find that people are more apt to follow what you're leading the way you're leading when you're more clear about things or where you're more bold about things? You, you see where I'm going with this one? It's, it's more of the, or maybe even, uh, which, which is more uh, integrity is definitely important. Don't get me wrong, but what's more important, the clarity when you're trying to give the message to someone or the integrity of that message? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for the long haul, uh, clarity trumps the big message, if that makes sense. I think people respond to clear calls to action. And I think sometimes when we think about leadership, we and when we read leadership books and metaphors through wars or whatever, it's, it's we usually elevate the big stuff events, the big things, but, uh, most of life isn't that, that extreme or that glamorous, so to speak. It's those little daily decisions. And I think people respond really well to clarity. Um, you know, for, for a season, at least in church world, uh, a lot of churches got a little bit gimmicky. They, they had, we have this incredible mission of trying to help people that are far away, come closer to God, And so knowing that mission is so big, they're like, well, what can we do to attract more people? And so it's a good, you know, it's a, it's a, a a good motive, but somewhere along the way, the methods became gimmicky or sometimes cute and clever. And, and what I found is that there's a lot of, you know, it, it did what it was meant to do for some people. But a lot of people, when they see cute things, they step back. If they see something that's clever in their minds, they're thinking, what are they really after? And so I've just found that if you lead with clarity instead and paint that picture as clear as you can and to give them a call to action that they can do, man, I think that's great. And I think leading a team is the same way. 
um, I think a, a lot of our teams look to us for clarity. In fact, I was on a, a team call today with our staff and we made the decision late last week to remain online for a couple of weeks with everybody coming back from the holidays and all the travel and in our county, the spike in COVID. And so we made the decision, hey, what's best at the moment is for us to go remain online for an additional two weeks. So when I knew when I got on that call today that we hadn't communicated that super in depth to our team yet. And so there's a lot of questions People, whether they voice them or not, have uncertainty in them. They're asking the question internally, how does this affect me? Is my job safe? Am I going to continue to have a paycheck? You know, all those things that are natural for a human to worry about. And so on that call, we weren't trying to be cute or clever. It's, let me be clear. Here's, here's, here's why we made this decision. Here's what this looks like. We believe the best is still in front of us. We think 2021 is going to be incredible. Yes, 2020 was hard, but there were some good things that came out of all of that. And so bringing that clarity and hope to people, I think, is really important because every team needs somebody to be the emotional leader in the room. Every team needs somebody that they can look to. And I think as a, as a, as a owner or as a leader or a somebody that has a team around them, just bearing that in mind that our people are looking to somebody, somebody's going to set the tone and I don't want it to be the news because it's all fear-based and the world's burning down. And so I think one of the roles of a leader is to help bring that voice of hope. Hey, we're going to get through this. We're going to get to the other side. I said to our team a while back, Hey, we're going to get to the other side of COVID and we're going to have a big cookout in the backyard and we're going to celebrate. We did it. We made it. And man, our team rallied around that. Do you, do you also spend a little time pointing out the fact that this is actually going to be kind of hard? I mean that, okay, this is going to be rough, but we're going to get past it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think um, early on in COVID, uh, what I sensed our team needed is they needed hope. They needed to know you're safe here. You. Uh, so one of the one of the coaching questions that I think is great for every leader to ask of their team or even of their family, anybody that they interact with, is to ask the question: What do they need right now? What do they need right now? So when you've got a patient in the chair, what do they need right now? Well, for some of them, they need to be able to see, right? right. If I was your patient, I've, I uh, had, I'm going to butcher the word. So y'all on the podcast, don't laugh at me, but I had strabismus. Is that how you say it? Strabismus. There you go. So my left eye. So I've had three surgeries in my left eye. And, uh, to, and so if I were sitting in your chair, the, <laughs> what I need is I need to be able to see through both eyes at the same time, because what I found is now I'm right eye dominant and there's things that happen on the left side of me that I don't even notice if I don't cause myself to shift <laughs> eyesight. Right. right. So what I need is I need to see peripheral because there's things going on or out here that matter. Um, so with our team, I asked the question, what do they need right now? Well, back in March, they needed hope. They needed vision. They needed they needed to know we're going to be okay. But then later in the midst of COVID, they needed to have expectations recalibrated. And so they didn't need vis- as much vision as that moment. They needed to learn to embrace difficulty. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people buy into is that if, if we're doing the right thing, then it shouldn't be hard. 
And then when hard things happen, they start to second guess what they're doing. And so in the middle of, of this in the summer, what they needed was they needed to know that difficulty isn't a sign that what you're doing is wrong. It's often a sign that you're doing what's right. You're in what our coaching world calls the messy middle. You're, you're doing something that matters. And when you do something that matters, of course, it's going to be hard. Anything that's worthwhile is going to be hard. Anything that that's, that's going to make a big impact and a big difference is going to be difficult. And so instead of us being discouraged by the difficulty, let's embrace it. What can we learn from it? How can it make us better? How can we serve people better through it? And I guarantee you every, every person that's run something or owns something, there's been those doubts when things got hard and uh, man, instead of, instead of acting like something's wrong when it's hard, learning to embrace it and to see it as a laboratory experiment that I can learn from this. I'm going to come out on the other side better because of it. And so I would just say that's a long way of saying at different stages of COVID, we've asked that question, what do they need? Sometimes it's vision. Sometimes it's recalibration. Sometimes it's just me admitting, hey, we can't see further out right now. So we're going to hang tight where we're at. And uh, one of the things that I learned during COVID is on the front end of COVID, they needed me as a leader to be up and to cast vision and to give them hope. And they rallied around that. And what I found as a leader, there was a season where I needed personally just to be quiet and let them carry the weight for a little while. And uh, I don't know if you experienced this in your practice, but what I experienced in those first weeks and the first couple of months of COVID is people assume that we're going to be working less because buildings were closed and all this, but I found myself working way more Yeah, and it was just emotionally, physically, spiritually draining. And so on the front end, I needed to have the energy for the team, but somewhere towards June or so I needed to be okay with being quiet for a little while and letting them carry the energy for a season. And that's natural. I mean, that's okay. I think sometimes leaders beat themselves up and they think what's wrong with me. Why, why am I, you know, uh, not as confident right now. Why am I second guessing? Why am I, you know, snapping at things that I shouldn't. And I would just say, if those things are happening, pay attention to them. They're sort of like, uh, lights on the dashboard of your car. When you start seeing those things pop up, instead of ignoring them, pay attention to it and maybe take it as a signal that maybe you need to step away for a little bit. Trust, trust that your team can carry it, that, that it's going to be okay take care of yourself during that season. And so, um, so that was helpful for me to begin to step back a little bit and let the team run for a bit. And then I came back <laughs> once I felt better and got to a better place. Yeah. We all tend to not spend enough time in self-care and, yeah. and part of that is allowing other people to do stuff for us. Yeah. And I'm guilty of that probably more than anybody I know. I, I, my favorite phrase is I got it. I, I I'll take, no, I got it. It's, it's yeah. okay. I got it. And, but what I've done is two things. I've, I've told them that you can't help me. And the second thing is I've told them is I don't want you to help me, which is hurtful to be honest. I mean, a lot of things they want to do, they really just want to help and they want to be there for you. And by not doing that, you're robbing them of this joy that they might have to, to help you out. Um, well, uh, Bobby, this has been absolutely fabulous. I don't want to take all of your day. We could spend on this thing for hours on end, but I do have 
a couple of quick rapid questions here for sure. you. Um, when you're at a gathering and a meal is about to be served and someone says, let's have a blessing. Does every head at the table turn and look at you? That does happen a lot, <laughs> especially at family functions. I'm the official prayer. Do you get invited to a lot of functions just so you will be have to just so you can pray? I have done that. And one of one of my funny stories is the town I grew up in is a little town in Mississippi called Olive Branch, Mississippi. I know exactly uh, where it is. Yeah, it's not as little anymore. It's basically a suburb of Memphis right over the state line. But uh, I remember as a high schooler when Walmart came to town, they had a grand or maybe a groundbreaking day and they invited the city out. They had the high school marching band play at it and they had my pastor pray over the groundbreaking of Walmart back, back then they still called it super Walmart. And right. so, uh, so I don't, I don't know where you learn how to do that. There's no seminary course that says, pray this at a wedding, <laughs> pray this at a funeral and pray this at a retail location. I don't, I, I never had thought about this and, you know, being just not in your world or whatever, as far as, you know, that job. But one day my was, my pastor uh, is, was in, is in Rotary with Rotary with me and we were sitting at the table and somebody was getting ready to, he said, I can feel it. It's coming. He said, and sure enough, somebody asked him to pray. And, you know, and he said, you know, yep. it's not that I mind doing it. I really do love doing it. He said, but I just would occasionally like somebody else to realize that I'm not just a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> professional prayer exactly when exactly. i try to when i when i get put on the spot and i'm in a room of people that i can pick on i just say so none of y'all want to talk to god okay <laughs> the bad preacher guilt joke i guess <laughs> well that's great uh thank you bobby appreciate your time today and um you know if if someone wants to to really find out more about you what's the best way for them to get i know you have your podcast bobby mcgraw connects they can just tie, uh, go into whatever their podcast crawler is and type in bobby mcgraw but what are some other ways they can find you yeah, so I blog and post a lot of my podcast stuff on a website just called yourbetterstory.com. And so really, I believe everybody has a story and there's something unique that God wants to do in and through you. And so my hope as somebody that coaches and pastors is to help people live that better story. So it's yourbetterstory.com. And so if you are looking for uh, short podcasts that just provide a little bit of encouragement, or if you're looking for something longer that goes more in depth, you can find it there. And then if you want more in information about coaching or any of those kind of things, just go to the main part of that site, bobbymcgraw.com and would love if there's any way I can serve you or help you or just bounce an idea off of you. I'd be totally happy to do that. Just reach out to me from there at bobbymcgraw.com. Well, folks, you guys have just had a master class on what it's like to lead an organization where most of the people don't even get paid to do it. Thanks, Bobby. I really appreciate it. It's been a blast. Thanks so much, Ted. I've loved it. My pleasure. Hey, that was great, Bobby. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Was, there's enough there. Oh yeah. There's a lot of there, there.